Welcome, welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb, and I am very thankful for you to joining us, and especially grateful for those who are returning to us. And today, hopefully, we have a great show that's something that you can find valuable. It is a conversation that I get to have with Tim Deshaun. Okay, Coach Deshaun, or DJ, uh, is the current infield coach for the Baltimore Orioles. He was a former assistant coach at the University of Memphis, where part of one of his clubs, they were second in school history with a 974 fielding percentage. <clears throat> Another year, uh, they were second in school history for fewest errors in a season. He's also a former assistant coach for the Milwaukee Milkmen, as well as a assistant coach for the University of Hartford. Again, setting records in team defense, I mean, becoming 49th in the nation there in their fielding percentage and having multiple guys taken in the draft. But DJ is um, just a great, a great, a great guy. Just an amazing guy. He's been on a handful. If you've seen any infield happy, happy hours, Zoom calls. He was at the ABCA this past year doing the hot stove, infield hot stoves, and um, had the chance, the pleasure to talk to him there, as well as being able to now have another more intimate one-on-one conversation, and a conversation, again, just I'm glad to just be able to record it. Um, but we get into infield play about, you know, again, the physical part of phys- in infield, developing better infielders, as well as the mental mentality, the mentality of a good infielder and how he's helping develop that. And just how you'll, you'll get to hear how he uses, and he's very, a simple approach that is he can use for all levels. Uh, he tries to, it's just a matter of the complexity. Uh, he's really great at breaking things down, letting everybody know, always starting with the purpose, giving video, just depending on the upon a player, um, will depending on the, the amount of layers of information that he needs to give. Uh, and that's really based on the player. Some players need a lot and some players don't, and he gets into that. So you can hear a lot of he does what's best for the kid. So there's not too much blanket information given. He's going to talk about his individualizing. And just as a coach, knowing the players, being a relationship-first coach, which is huge. You hear a lot of great coaches talk about that. Um, you know, every all the great traits of infielders, from um, being able to have good footwork, making sure that you play catch properly, as well as developing arm strength and a proper arm angle. He's always talking about, yes, infielders need to, talk, you need to throw from all different arm angles, but you got to have your bread and butter. You got to have that one arm angle that you can rely on. And of course, lastly, is just your hands, you know, to be able to develop those things. But DJ talks about how, how to develop them, what he feels like is the best way to do that. Um, he's a great presence on Twitter, big, big time Twitter is at Dijon, at D E J O H N underscore five. He's a great follow on Twitter. Um, gotten some great cues from him. I think there's always better ways to say. There's always different ways that someone's going to say something and it might help a kid. And that's what I've always gone to every ABC about. That's what I love about these conversations. And because you never know what cue might just trigger someone and it, it just speaks to someone. So, And DJ's been that guy for me. Um, on a, a several occasions. So um, I want to get into this conversation. And again, uh, please share this with anybody you feel that might 
enjoy it, might find it valuable, uh, and let me know if you have any feedback for me. But again, I can't thank DJ enough. So, <clears throat> hope you enjoy us talking infield with Coach Tim DeJong. Here he is, DJ from the Baltimore Orioles. Everyone says like, oh, what do you got for these drills and, and, and this and that? And I'm probably one of the more simple guys that's out there in a sense. Like I don't get super um, fancy with things. Um, I, I, I just try to keep it as absolutely simple where I could teach it to a 12-year-old and a first-round draft pick. When it comes to, to things like that, so you mentioned the handshake distance. I just sure. – um, we um, – I hear so many times as, as coaches say the, the you know, the cue out in front, feel the mm. ball out in front. Well, out in front could be your arm fully extended and out in front could be two inches from in front of your feet. Um, so to me, out in front is such a, a gray term in a sense. And you can't really get mad of a guy if he's doing it deep, you know, into his body because it's still out in front technically. Um, so I just, Handshake distance is is something that I, I I don't know if I came up with it or my father taught me it years ago, but um, and it, it kind of just makes sense and it clicks with people and it's kind of a very specific cue um, and it, it it you see the light bulbs click when we um, when you know when that's instructed with players. So oh, for sure, well, I think it's such a yeah. You can see that just uh, just for us talking on right now, you can just see what that looks like you know and mm-hmm. do you, you find like is that was that like one of your go-tos like do you have a couple go-tos like that that you're just that you feel like 100 oh, percent uh yeah, handshake man. distance is definitely one of my go-tos um all my players get get sick of this term but uh they they they, they make fun of me for it but it, it's once they make fun of you for it, you know that they they bought in in a sense is it's sticking i say oh yeah i say see it in all the time um i back from when I coached high school until um, until now with the Orioles, like see the ball in. Even when you're playing catch, see it in. We do a hand-eye drill where they have to see it in, um, see the ground ball in. Anytime that you catch a baseball, I just I want you to focus on seeing the ball in so you know that you got it. Um, that's, that's definitely one of my go-tos. Um, I don't know if I can think of any others yeah. off the top What's, of my head It's right funny. Now. Do you find Do you find it to where – to where it's so important for you. Do you feel they find that infielders don't do that as often as they should, as they should? Oh God. I mean, watch, go to any baseball field and guys watch, watch guys play catch. Um, they don't see the ball in very well. Um, and then you notice that when they feel the ground ball, their head's kind of up where if they're trained and all they know is to every time that they catch a baseball is to see it in their glove. They're going to do it when they play catch, they're going to do it on a pop-up. They're going to do it on a ground ball. And it just increases the chances of them catching that baseball tremendously, in my opinion, opposed to where if they pull their head up early, even playing catch, I've seen guys pull their head up early playing catch and they drop baseballs. Uh, A good example of it kind of is Yadier Molina. You watch Yadier Molina catch a ball behind the plate. And even if that ball's high, you know, his head and his hand work together where I see a lot of amateur uh, players will just kind of put their arm up 
and they don't see the ball in and that's when it tips off and runners advance. Um, so I'm, I'm just very into that hand-eye coordination, that hand-eye uh, seeing the baseball in and, and giving yourself confidence since you're going to catch it. Sure. Sure. So, like you said um, about using this right cues that you would use for a 12 year old away the first rounder, you know, how has been the difference this since you've now worked all those levels? Like what's the difference? Yes. You might be saying see it in or handshake distance. What do you do differently between those two? All those different between levels. The, like, like, yeah, like how you, how have you differentiated between that to kind of keep everybody engaged and keep them at their level, mm-hmm. reach them at their level. I think that the, the, key with that is just how in depth you go with things like with a 12 year old um you might he might not even need to necessarily understand all the the building blocks of what he's doing at that point because it just might confuse him where the further that you get up uh, the more experience that the guys get they want more information and you just get a little more detail oriented with things and you identify little things and um you let them know where they could go wrong. So if you're not around and they're working on it, they kind of have their checklist. Um, I just think it's the level of complexity that you go. Um, and even at the, at the pro level, some guys, they don't, they don't need to know it. You know, they don't, you know, they may, I may want to teach them that, but by teaching that, that, that might screw them up and get them, you know, thinking about too many things. So I think that it's important to um, know the player, I had a shortstop at the University of Memphis, extremely bright kid. If I didn't come to him with different levels of complexity when teaching, um, it wasn't going to work for him. He wanted more where I've had other shortstops in the past where they don't need to know it because it's just going to get them thinking too much. And and it all depends on the player and works for them and and how they go about um, taking things in. So how do you go about knowing your players? Like, especially now, like, you know, cause you might, depending on where you're at, you're going to see if it's almost fluid or fluid roster. So like, how do you go about that? Like, how are you intentional about that? Oh, well, first off, I'm huge on building relationships with guys. Um, that is probably one of my strong points. Um, I love being around the players. I like the players more than I like the game. Um, talking to them, understanding them, understanding what makes them click. Uh, just straight up asking them like, Hey, is this too much for you? You know, do you want to know more? Do you need to understand? Um, I just think that that honesty and open communication really, really helps to navigate how you're going to go about coaching them. And um, you just got to talk to the guys, you know, you, you got to talk to them like they're, they're normal people and not just baseball players. And I think that by having conversations, you get a good idea of what type of learner they are. And, and that right there is another thing is understanding their learning styles. Some guys are visual, some guys are verbal, some guys you need to draw a diagram, whatever it may be. Um, and sometimes just asking them, Hey, did this click with you? Or is it better if I showed you this way? Um, you you kind of just have to adapt to them and, and, um, and then you, you have to be honest with them and they ha- and in return, they'll be honest with you. Sure. Sure. Hmm. Well, that's good. It's it's just so interesting, you know, that you are in a like I said, you were a, you were an outfielder, and um, do you do you find like so? I, I'm assuming that you know you love to learn. You know, like did you um, you probably learned a lot by just watching. So, um, 
you know, it's just, it's just, it's just interesting. So interesting that you came from an outfielding background, but you know, now you're teaching infield. So like, are there anything, what do you think, I guess, as, is is putting you ahead of other guys and, you know, for, for in order for you, 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 you did well at Memphis and you see all your records at Hartford and Memphis and getting out with the Orioles. Like what has kind of driven you uh, to be such a great infield coach? Um, well, first and foremost, I, I've never done, I don't have any of those records. I, I just, I just kind of was a little bit of the guiding light. Well, what, helped, what helped you create that environment that allows <laughs> your players to okay, be so successful? Um, I, I, again, I, I, am going to touch upon it again, but I just think that the relationship piece, um, I, I think that, you know, they, they want to know how much you care before they care how much, you know, that's, that's one of my phrases that always stuck with me. And, um, it's important because I want these guys to trust me with their playing career, whether it is a high school player, a college player or a professional player, like, um, and I take pride in, in knowing that they do trust me with their career and I'm going to do the best that I possibly can to put them in a good position to be successful. Um, I, I think that having a plan and open communication and not just saying this is the way that we're going to do it and like it or not, um, I think that having a good attitude and consistency and, and uh, them seeing the passion that I have about it. Um, kind of rubs off on them and, and bringing good energy every single day. Um, I'm, I'm not a guy that's really too much of a yeller or anything. I, I just, once you put me out in the field, I, I just go and um, I get passionate about it. And then the days that I do yell, they know that, Hey, this guy doesn't really yell too much. And he's, he is today. So we might be screwing up or we might not be giving the effort. Um, but on top of those things, I think just having a plan, um, the communication piece of getting feedback from them too. Like, how do you feel about this drill? Do you really understand what I'm talking about? Um, be honest, you know, be honest. Does, does this not make sense to you? Is this not working? How does this feel? Um, I, I think those are the things that have kind of led to the success. And, uh, but again, again, the, the building block of all that is the, the foundation of a good relationship with the players and, um, they, they know that I'm there for them and this is not about me. I'm, I'm there to serve them and help them and guide them. And it's not a, um, I don't have any records. Like, like you said before, I, I, those guys do. And I was just part of it. And I'm, I'm proud that they accomplished that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's what guys want to play for, you know what I mean? And they know that. So that's awesome. Shows you're a great servant leader for sure. Go O's, man. I have it right. <laughs> um, so, um, so I guess ahead. I was just I was just wondering, like, so it just got me thinking of like, because I know we put so, so much um, when people think of infield, they think of middle infielders, you know. And yep. how, like, how have you? Uh, you're an infield coach. You have to teach all the infielders, you know. So, like, mm-hmm. how do you go about, you know, teaching your in, middle infielders and your corner guys from your first base into your third baseman? How do you go about, you know? Uh, helping them, I guess, develop their different skills at the different positions? Um, really good question. So I think in the beginning with, if I, you give me a group of new infielders, you give me an, inf- uh, uh, an infield with two guys at each position. Um, and these are things that I've done at, at, you know, in the college level is you bring them all in and you have your base 
drills and skills and foundations that they should all have or that you feel that they should all have. And then once you feel that all of them have grasped those things, then you kind of start working a little more uh, position, position specific and um, what skills are going to correlate to those positions. Um, you know, corner guys are going to play a little bit lower. Uh, they're going to get different types of ground balls. They're going to have to work a little bit different angles than the middle guys. Um, you know, middle guys are going to work more around the bag. Middle guys, they're, they're going to work more side to side in a sense. Um, they're going to get different types of ground balls. Their body posture in the fielding process is going to be a little bit different. Um, but at the same time, we've also had some, some days where we have our first baseman go play shortstop a little bit just to, to, you know, not too, too often, but just to develop different types of skills and, and use their body a little more efficiently and uh, use their legs when they're throwing over to first base. Um, so I, I think that they all have a certain foundation of skills, but then after that you start getting into uh, position specific and what drills might work uh, for middle infielders opposed to um, corner guys. But um, at the end of the day, they're all, as much as they are different, they're all kind of similar. And um, the, hmm. it would be nice to have all shortstops, but that's not that's yeah. not always the the case. Yeah, um, I guess with that, like, so you say in the base skills, once you have a base skill, your base skill, then you go position specific. So, what kind of base skills are you looking for? Because everybody's a little bit different with that. Yep. Uh, well, the the see it in the the whole see it in. We do a hand eye drill that everybody does, um, and that kind of sets up for. Um, the next part, which is we go to like a, a glove isolation drills where they're on their knees. Um, we do a, a series of those and they all do those same things. Um, when they play catch, we, we make sure that they're always using their body. I like them to, to have their, um, I like them to have their hands chin height, middle of their body, whether they're shortstop, first baseman, whatever. Um, obviously it'll, it'll differ a little bit, you know, not every guy is going to be completely robotic. Um, understanding their, their body position, their feeling position, the importance of the hinge at the waist. Um, those are kind of my, my base. And then after that, I mean, it, you're going to go in a million different directions uh, based on the player and the position that they play. Sure. Sure. So like, look at, let's dive into like, like specifically, like let's say first base play. I just don't feel like it gives enough, you know, and, and enough time, you know, and never really has a great conversation between first base play, you know? So like, I, like, do you, will you, I guess in your day and I guess your time with it depends on the, I'm sure the, what the manager wants to do, but will you work specifically and do some specific like position stuff specifically with the first baseman? Uh, is it just is it part of the whole infield? Um, what do you like to do with your first baseman? Uh, first baseman, I, I, I kind of like to get them out there on by themselves some days. Um, very important with cutoffs and relays that they have their, their footwork, um, holding a guy on the bag, uh, understanding footwork to the bag. Um, a lot of scooping stuff, a lot of pick work, um, understanding their approach to the bag when they go to the bag, um, positioning for, for first baseman has gotten a lot more attention recently. You mean like um, a shifting? Like with, the yes. shifting? with, you know, if you watch, uh, I was actually watching the the Orioles and Marlins game last night and uh, we had our first baseman or excuse me, they had their first baseman. He was about a third of the way 
off of he was a third of the way down the line the first base and oh, wow. he was actually in the line and you know you you have your base point where, where you start as a first baseman and every step that you take towards the four hole you take one step in and it's pretty much the same distance to the bag um, if you continue to do that and you can get as far as almost a third of the way down the line and in the baseline and still get there on time if a, if a ground ball sits to the shortstop um, but I think that, that the days of the first baseman kind of playing in that one spot are completely over. Uh, so they're, they're going to have to take ground balls and, and at different depths, at different areas. Um, like yeah, I said, they I think, turn around differently than they're used to, you know, almost putting your back to the ball sometimes. And that's sometimes you might not, you might not have time. Um, I, I think that just developing good footwork for first baseman, um, understanding how then to properly line up for cutoffs and relays on, on, on plays to the plate, um, tags. I mean, literally just catching and tagging, um, so, so many different things. I mean, yeah. we, uh, mentioned infield happy hour before, uh, Perry Hill came on and he crushed it. He, he was on there for about an hour and a half and he, he really, really talked about first base play. And, um, a lot of it was positioning. A lot of it was where you, where you start and then um, how you branch off of that starting point. Um, footwork to the bag, tags. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, sure there is. Hmm. Yeah, with first base play, I mean, it's, it's good, but it's also just something that just gets left behind. But then you're so appreciative of like that really good first baseman that you do have because they make the infield better. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I, especially for, for the high school coaches listening out there. Uh, if you have a good first baseman and a good catcher, you'll be able to win some games. Um, they might not win the games for you, but they won't lose them for you. They will prevent a lot of errors in the infield. If you have a good first baseman that knows what he's doing and then a catcher behind the plate that could keep the ball in front of him and not give up all those extra bases. Uh, it's huge. And when I was coaching high school, we were, we won a lot of games, and we were fortunate to, to have a really, really good first baseman and a really good catcher um, on all those teams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's the, the old days of, you know, just that big old big old guy on first base, you know, it's a little – that's gone. You know, you don't see too many of those guys, uh, especially at your level uh, anymore, especially with all the shifting and things like that you're talking about. they got to be pretty athletic. Yeah, they're, they're getting – we got some first basemen that – that are big guys, but they could still move and they're athletic and they understand it. And um, you can throw them over there a third and they can probably do a good job with that as well. So, uh, mm-hmm. and you got to so, start finding more ways to challenge them as well with, with different drills and, and um, you expect a little bit more out of them and footwork and starting double plays. I forgot to mention that. Um, that's another thing, you know, making sure that they're accurate throwers, making sure that they understand rundowns as well. Um, yeah there's a ton of stuff I mean I know I know there's a ton of stuff it's just just something that just doesn't get talked a lot about you know and even even the times that I have been on the infant happy hours of like you just besides Perry Hill you know but like it's just something that kind of goes um but like you said though I think another way of to also incorporating that because you look at a majority you look at high school guys there might be two guys on staff you know like trying to kill two birds with one stone where I think like what you were saying is putting them in with the, in, with the shortstops, you know, making them turn some dope plays and getting their footwork right will also help their footwork around first base when they have to do that as well. 
it's just going to increase their athleticism. You know, the more that you challenge them in different ways, it, it'll carry over to their first base play. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying having a first baseman taking ground balls or shortstop every single day is, is going to make them a better first baseman. Um, but every once in a while, just mixing it up and getting guys to play in different positions and promote different types of movements and athletic um, postures and all those things, it's, it's going to help. Sure. And I, I, first baseman, you can spend two, you can spend a ton of time just on them at practice. Um, and if you feel that, that you're not getting enough with your first baseman, then have them stay after practice for 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever it may, whatever it may be, um, just to work on some things. They, I feel like a lot of first basemen feel like they're, like you said, they're, they're not included in things um, mm -hmm. because it's not the, it's, it, it's not the most important position, quote unquote. Um, but if, if you're lacking with them, then take the extra time and they'll appreciate it and, and you'll see their, their, their play jump up. Well, you said like, um, like when you were coaching high school, like what were some ways that you were creative with that time? Because, you know, you, we only had so much time and you only had so many resources. Like how were you creative with kind of getting to all your infielders? Uh, I wish I was more creative, to be honest. Um, I, I remember, you know, specifically when I was coaching at Southington high school, we had very good teams for the five years that I was there. And uh, after year one, you know, I looked back and was like, I got this. And then after year three, I looked back in year one, like, what was I doing? Like, okay. and then after year three, I'm like, I got this now. I figured it out. And then you get to year five and I was like, what the hell was I doing in year three? <laughs> um, and I, I think that, uh, that still happens now. <laughs> like, sure. uh, there are days in spring training where, where we develop some practices and you're like, that was a pretty good practice. And then five or six days later you have a practice and you look back on the one that you had earlier and you're like, the hell was I doing there? What were we doing? And, um, I, I don't know if I, if we did anything necessarily creative in high school. Um, I think that we were probably a little bit ahead, um, in the sense of, we didn't just say, Hey, we're going to take 15 minutes and we're going to do 15 minutes worth of ground balls. We did not do that. We had our early lead up work every day and we had our progressions. Um, I don't, I can't recall if we ever did anything too much uh, position specific, but um, we definitely had those, those drills before that, before they took their, um, uh, you know, their regular ground balls. And, and this was, this was like seven, eight years ago. Okay. So at the time, I, I think that we were doing things I don't want to say advanced, but um, we were paying attention to those those routines in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely used the wall wall drill a lot, um, and a, a good drill for first baseman. Here you go, especially during quarantine and everything that's going on. If if they're not able to play, is you know you have the wall drill where you're x amount of feet from the wall. You throw the ball over their shoulder. They just feel the hops. Well you put a bag down and you can have the first baseman have his footwork to the bag. You throw it off the wall and then he works on his scoops and picks. Um, and it kills two birds with one stone with, with them getting their, their picks in and also their footwork to the bag. Yeah. Um, you can also do it where they start on the bag and then they shuffle off like they're holding a guy on and you throw the ball off the wall. And now they work on uh, fielding the ball while holding somebody on and they can add in, you know, uh, phantom footwork or throwing footwork to the second base, like to turn a double play. Um, 
So I, I think the wall creates some really, really good hops for first baseman. For sure. Now, would you when you when you did the wall and you tried that, were those part of your lead ups, like part of your pre work, pre practice stuff, or absolutely, yep. Okay. We and would you just was, teach the kids those, or was that something that you were a part of and did them for them? I think that one of the things that that we did in high school and and even when I was at Memphis and and even a little bit with the Orioles is um, you teach them it. And once you understand that they can grasp it, you kind of float around, you know, so you you instruct them to do those things and they have a partner and then, you know, they understand the, what, the, why, the, how, the common mistakes, how it should feel. Um, And then you could kind of let them go a little bit. Um, And then some days you just stay there with them and, and watch them today. Hey, today during, during, during uh, lead ups with infielders, you know, you guys know your drills. I'm going to be with the first baseman during lead ups today. And then maybe the next day, like, hey, you guys know your drills. I'm going to be with the shortstop today working on something specific. Um, so I, I understand with high school coaches that you may not have a, a lot of coaches. You may not have a lot of time. Um, I think that if you thoroughly teach some of the drills early on and spend the time there, they can go out and do those drills on their own, and then you can kind of float around. So you might say, hey, corner guys, you guys are going to work on these on your own today. Uh, or with partners and I'm going to be with the middles working on double plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day uh, you three guys are on your own or you three positions are on your own. I'm going to go with the third baseman. We're going to work on slow rollers or backhands or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's something that, that I've definitely done in the past. Yeah. That's so smart. guys yeah. don't feel that they are getting, um, yeah, they don't feel like they're getting shortchanged. Everyone feels like they're getting uh, specific attention throughout the week. Yeah, and you're just kind of, I guess, basing that based off of what you've kind of seen in practice and mm-hmm. what you kind of see guys need. What's needed, yep. And then on some days, our, our early work might be, hey, we're all going to work on backhands mm-hmm. or we're all going to work on this because we haven't covered it first off in a while, Yeah. Uh, which kind of brings, brings me to another uh, coaching point, a uh, coaching tip that, that I've started doing and I've learned it uh, from at the university of Memphis is um, you make a checklist, you know, you make a checklist of all the things that you can cover as a group and then a checklist of all things that you can cover each uh, position. And when you're going to cover or you should, you said you make a checklist of things you're going to cover or you want to cover. uh, Yeah. Well, that you're going to cover, you do this before the season. Okay. Uh, And then when you actually cover those things in practice, you write the date down next to it. So if first baseman haven't done, um, you know, tags at first base or when's the last, you know, you can go check the sheet and say, man, I haven't done that in three weeks with these guys, you know, and sometimes as a coach, you forget, you got so many things going on and, and you forget those small little details. And, you know, when's the last time I went over double plays with the middle infield? Oh, it was two days ago. All right. Well, maybe I, I can do that two days from now. You know, we can work on something else. And it's just, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't leave it open for interpretation as far as I think I covered this at this point. Like, no, this is the date that you covered it. And it's been two weeks. You better hit it again. Um, Cause I, like I said, I know, especially as a high school coach, your, your mind's going in so many different directions and have so many things to cover that you just might, you might gloss over those finer details that'll help you win or lose a game. Yeah. Has that checklist changed for you over the years where you said maybe it's condensed? Cause I'm sure even myself, I know yeah. I would have a problem with like, I got to cover 20, 30 things. 
Um, I think in some cases it's actually gotten a little bit bigger uh, because when you're a high school coach, there's only, you don't really have a lot of individual time where once you get to college and pro level, um, you have more time to, to cover the finer details, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier. When you're saying uh, individual, are you saying like position specific? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would have, I would have a checklist for the entire infield. Like we introduced this drill. We introduced this drill. We did this drill as a group. We did this drill as a group. We did this drill as a group. We covered cutoffs and relays, bunt defense, whatever it may be. Um, then you go to the, to the uh, specific positions, or you can even make a checklist for the player. Okay. You know, that, that's a, that's kind of something else that I've, I've done in the past is like, Hey, I got Billy here and these are the things that Billy needs to work on. Um, and you write that list for Billy and then you write the date next to those things. Um, not every player is going to need the same drills. And again, I know that's probably a little bit more of the pro and college game because you have more time. Um, but you can find a way to make it work in high school too. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, that's really good. You know, I've always seen like a practice index too. It's kind of similar to that. Um, you know, Coach Sloshnick at TCU uses that. And, uh, but yeah, that's cool though, especially specific drills for the individual. Um, it's a great way to, you know, but uh, have you noticed where, like, cause I'm thinking of like in-game stuff. Cause I know that's kind of the, the, I don't know. It's, it's been a new, new talk of saying and like, okay, well, we don't do, you know, this maybe twice a year. So why would we be covering it so much or uh, things like that? So are you taking any kind of data like that to say, hey, we're, we're not really doing this too much. We're doing this often. So we're going to cover this more often. I could tell you that at the high school level, we spent way too much time on bunt defense and all and different types of bunt defense and five different plays and um, first and thirds and, you know, so many different plays in first and thirds. And it's, they just didn't come up in game situations as much mm -hmm. or you'll spend, you'll spend time um, working on five different bunt defenses. And during the season, you really only use two. Mm -hmm. So we're going to cut down, we're getting rid of those three. And we're just going to hammer home and be really, really good at those two. Um, I, I've definitely found that I don't want to say wasted time, but it was kind of wasted time uh, on things that, that just don't come up as much. Um, and I, I would spend more time on, on the team stuff. Or, or, excuse me. I would spend more time on developing those players' skills than, than bunt defense. Mm -hmm. I really, really would. And another thing that, that – I think we've all done this and I've stopped doing this and it's made a huge difference is you make your practice plan and you have 10 minutes for bunt defense and you end on a bad one or you want to keep going and one more, let's do it till we get it right. And then the next thing, you know, you're 20 minutes into bunt defense, the guys are, their confidence is shot. You're frustrated. You're starting to yell. Um, just if you put 10 minutes, and that's over and it's over and done with. And I don't care if you ended on a good one or a bad one. It happens. Um, I think actually ending on a bad one sometimes helps them learn to deal with some failure. Mm -hmm. um, and that it also lets you know, Hey, we need to come back to this. And then you go back to your checklist and you write the date and <laughs> you might say, Hey, we covered bunt defense and it didn't go well. So let's hit it again on Thursday or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I, I definitely think that how uh, personally I've, I've used practice time has changed pretty tremendously uh, from the high school days until now. I'm sure it just shows that, you know, your growth as a coach and I think what matters most, um, you know, and I know yeah. just instead of just trying to cover things, you're like you said, you're trying to get them really good at certain things. And, you know, that's, that's, and that's valuable. I think players respect those things as well. They can also tell when things don't matter. Uh, one of the things kind of that uh, I can't get into too much detail in a sense, but um, at the pro level, like understanding what angles infielders take towards the baseball. So at certain positions, I was spending way too much time on them working on certain angles to the ball. And if you look at the 2019 average in the American league for infielders taking those angles, it was less than like 5%. Mm. And I was like, we need to change that. And I didn't know that they take this angle as much as they do. So we need to maybe work on that more. Um, but I think that just watching the game and, and maybe charting your players in the sense of these guys keep doing these same things right or wrong in the game. Um, I, I think that sometimes I see a lot of high school coaches go way too overboard with the charts. They collect all this data um, for all these different things. And then I ask, well, okay, well, what are you going to do with it? And there's, there's no answer, you know, um, I, I think that you collect data that's important to you that you feel is going to help you design practice. You feel is going to help you put your players in a better position and help them specifically get better. And that's it. I, I don't think that you need as much at the high school level as they think. I would spend more time on skill development um, than I would of all the charting and data, to be honest. Yeah, well, so what, what do you think that chart would be? Like, let's say to improve a infielder, an infielder skill in high school, what would you what would you think that chart would look like or what would you collect from a data standpoint? You know what I see a lot? Um, and trying to think of the best way to put this, shortstops all the time. You see a high school shortstop, he will make that jeter play or he'll round that ball, ball in the hole and jump up and throw or make a wild play. And everyone thinks it's a great play. And I look at it, I'm like, if he just took a different angle to that ball and and backhanded that, you know, and he would have gained eight feet, eight less feet that he would have to make on the throw. And he can set his feet and, and, and make that throw easily instead of having to make that super athletic, uh, uh, low probability of an out. And I would kind of just pay attention to that is the angles. Um, I would pay attention to if they're reading speed, if they're reading the speed of the ball where, you know, you get a ground ball, a high school kid, and he may hurry up and get rid of the ball super fast. And the guy's only halfway down the line where I'm like, he could have took an extra shuffle there and, and made a more accurate throw and took his time. Or if guys aren't reading speed in the sense of that's a slow hit ball and he kind of takes two shuffles and takes his time and the guy's safe. Um, So I just think that their angles um, and them reading speed of the ball uh, and maybe just chart the the balls that they make errors on. So if you see something consistent, these guys consistently making a back, you know, making errors on backhands, 
well, then we need to spend some time with this guy and practice on improving his backhand or talking to him about his backhand, what his thought process is, whatever it may be. Um, and, and that's kind of all I, I really, really did over the years. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit different now that we, we kind of have an analytical infield team that I could call them and ask them anything at any time and say, hey, uh, what is the percentage of balls here? And, you know, what is the angle that these guys take? And, and they'll go find it and they do a great job. Um, but I, I just think that sometimes there's so much time spent at that on the lower levels when it could be spent elsewhere. Sure, sure. What do you think? Uh, so, so thinking of, you know, doing those kind of things, what, what do you think would allow, you know, you see now infielders, you know, you're seeing first round draft picks, you've seen high school kids, you know, you've worked with younger kids. What would be something that would allow like uh, the skills needed to play at the highest level? Like, what are you seeing like that you would recommend or give advice for younger kids and say, work on these things. Cause these are the kind of things that they're doing as a first rounder. Um, well, first and foremost, footwork. Uh, usually the, the good infielders have good feet. And um, I don't think that that is, I think that the usage of their body when they do everything, you know, I think the infielders rely on, on just their arm. They don't use their body enough, but I, I back to the first point, I think footwork, um, I would do a lot more footwork drills at, a, at an early age. And I think one of the greatest ways to improve your footwork is go play a different sport. Um, soccer specifically. I know that a lot of our guys with the Orioles that have good footwork in the middle, I've asked them, they were high school soccer players as well. Um, and it, it kind of, it's funny how it works out that way, but I think that feet are the toughest thing to improve as they get older. So if you can start working on their feet and I don't know specifically which drills yet, <laughs> um, but I think playing multiple sports, I, I think that cutting, I think that having light feet, um, things like that are going to help out down the road. Uh, the next thing that I would do that I would develop as a, as a younger kid or a high school kid is proper way to play catch and developing strength in your arm and throwing the ball correctly. Um, long tossing. I don't feel like guys long toss enough. Um, they don't throw enough. Uh, they want to throw from 30 different arm angles, arm angles, but they can't throw from one. Um, I agree that an infielder should throw from different arm angles, but he should have that one go-to arm angle. That's his natural arm angle that he is money accurate with opposed to, well, he's got six arm angles, but he's not accurate with any of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that playing catch um, and, and understanding that is extremely important and overlooked. That might be the most overlooked one is the art of playing catch. Um, I watch a lot of travel ball and these tournaments and, they spend five minutes, if that, and they don't even use it all and they don't get past 90 feet. And I, I, that's not the way that I was kind of taught. That's not the way that I grew up. Um, and I, I think it's a little bit of a lost art. And then I think that the, the hands and all those drills, I think those come third because I think that there's a lot of things that you can do later on to help improve those. Um, I always say I, I could, the thing that I struggle with to improve the most on a guy is his feet. Um, then his arm or excuse me, I struggle the most developing a guy's feet later on. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm looking for. 
like a guy that has good feet. Okay. I don't have to, I don't have to touch that too much. Then the arm. Um, Cause I think that you could make the arm stronger with long tossing and, and things like that. And then the hands uh, third, because there's a lot of things that I feel that, that you can do to improve a guy's hands. Um, even if they're not that good, there's a lot of things that you can do, but the feet are the toughest to improve, um, especially as they get older. Sure. Sure. Mm-mm-mm. So those are great. So I know you, you talked about your progression and stuff like that. So with your early up lead ups and progression stuff. So with your progression work, are you working on the, are you targeting those things like footwork during your progression work? Um, yes. Uh, it, I wouldn't say that we're doing as much like agility work with it, but I think that having your feet in the right position where you're, where the weight on in your feet, you know, on the balls of your feet, um, when you're turning a double play, how your feet should be. Like, I definitely pay a lot of attention to that, but as far as the skill, uh, as far as the agility piece of it, um, at Memphis, I left it to the, the strength and conditioning coach with the Orioles. I leave that to the strength and conditioning coach. Now you communicate and say, Hey, I think that this guy is lacking this, or he can't perform this drill very well. What do you recommend to improve that as far as his feet are concerned? And, you know, then I, I kind of leave that to them um, or they may ask some more questions and for us to figure it out. Um, but I wouldn't say as much agility with the infielders when we're doing these lead ups, but attention to detail as far as how their feet should be working and the position mm-hmm. of their feet and how their toes are pointed and, and very specific things like that. Um, but the, the improvement of the agility, I, I kind of leave it to the, the strength and conditioning guys. Um, now, if I was a high school coach, maybe I would, I would have a little, you know, maybe a couple times a week that I would have some, some strength and agility work um, that's off the field. That um, hey, infielders today, if we have ten minutes of lead ups, we're going to do five on um, this agility work off to the side, and then we'll implement it into practice. Um, I'm not really big on ladders on the field. Exact, that was, that's where I was going. I'm not, I'm not, I think that using a ladder and fielding a ground ball, that footwork doesn't happen at the same time. Um, so I, I don't really believe in going through a ladder and then fielding a ball because I don't want you to do that in a game. I don't want you to have that type of footwork in a game. I want your footwork to be smooth. Um, and it, it doesn't happen. You know, like I, I, I think that in some cases if you're talking about angles to the baseball it could be counterproductive um i think that you can do all that ladder stuff and agility work and plyo work off to the side and then once you get into the process of fielding a ground ball or you're taking fungos like you just let it go mm-hmm. that, that's just going to transition naturally um, but i'm not very big on on you know you're going to go through this footwork pattern through the ladder and, and then break down and field the ground ball i used to do it but I just kind of thought to myself, like, it doesn't really make sense. I don't want him to have those choppy steps to the baseball. I want them to be smooth and efficient. Um, a good infielder when I actually spent a couple of days with JJ Hardy and he said that he would watch his, he would watch the dirt around him after he went to a ground ball. And if it was chopped up a lot, he knew that he was too heavy on his feet. But if the, the cleat kind of went into the ground and came out smoothly, he knew that his, um, his footwork pattern or whatever it may be was very efficient and quiet and smooth. 
And I, I kind of pay attention to that now where if you have a ladder, you know, you're going to be chopping up everything. Oh, yeah. Dust everywhere. Uh, yeah. And I'm not, again, I'm not a, I'm not a strength and conditioning guy in a sense. So I, I, I leave it to the pros, um, you know, as far as the organizations that I've been with, but um, just something to kind of think about. Oh, for sure. You know, I, I agree. It all starts with it around the, around the bag and um, just that footwork and it starts on the ground up, man, just like mostly everything does. Yep. So, I mean, that's, yeah. Another thing about that, that I, that I kind of learned recently with like on base, you um, talking about physical ability and footwork and things like that is, and oh man, I've screwed this up so many times. Uh, <laughs> I would ask infield to get into certain positions years ago. And I mean, I won't even say years ago, pretty recently. Um, I would ask them to perform certain things and all kind of be able to get into certain positions. And some guys physically just can't do it. Their body is not built in a way or, or they're struggling with some mobility in a hip or hamstrings or uh, whatever. And I'm asking them to do it and I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm like, I can do this. How come you can't get into this position? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's built differently. Um, so I think that understanding your players' bodies and what they can physically perform and if there's some tightness in certain areas of their bodies, that's going to prevent them from getting into that good position. Um, and then if they can't get into that position, you have to decide whether you're going to spend the time to increase their hip mobility or flexibility or whatever it may be, or if that's going to be an off season thing where it's going to take a long time for them to get to that flexibility that you coach around it in the meantime, Hey, you can't get into the, into this position, but we're going to put you in this position. Um, that's the closest thing that, you know, to that position that I want you to be in. Um, and, and that's something that, that really, you know, sparked with me i'm like man i i spent a lot of time trying to get guys in certain positions that they just physically can't do Mm -hmm. and the art of coaching now is well are we going to spend the time to fix that or is that an off-season thing and we need to coach around it and come up with a, a plan to get him as close to that position as possible in a different way I'm just trying that down because that's great. Cause, and now my my brain also goes to think of okay, well, you're trying to teach that to a 12 year old, you know what I mean? Or you're trying to teach it to a high school kid, you know, not being able to go through the on base screen and not really know that, but you know fundamentally that kid has to get into that position. Um, yep. You know, so what what were your advice there? You know, where maybe this kid can't? Is it really truly can't? Or you know, at least showing him like you need to try to get to the position. I, I think that that's a great question. And I think that's a tricky question. And I don't know if I know the answer to that because yeah. um, when they're younger like that, they're still growing. They, you know, some kids, they hit their, um, they hit their athletic peak at different ages. Um, some guys don't grow into their bodies. Uh, that is a great question. Um, I would, I would, strive as much as I possibly can at the younger ages to get them into those proper positions instead of coaching around it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. that. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not a, I'm not afraid to admit that, that I, I don't know the right answer. I, I think that uh, that's a good question for, for Dr. Greg Rose. Yeah. 
Well, I just don't know what, you know, you just, you just wonder, you're just trying to do the best you can, but I know it all, and it all depends and all depends on all the kids and yep. you just get those. And that's, that's what's hard about coaching, but you know, you do want to be able to at least fundamentally say, can you show me that? Like, do you know what the position is? Maybe they're not yep. able to do it. Uh, I just think fundamentally, you know, our job is to also teach those fundamentals that we can build, build on. Um, but if a kid can't, physically do them either you know like it's just something that like you said you determine okay well we're gonna have to put you over here and put you in this maybe hybrid of a thing or you're just not gonna be able to do it or we're gonna work on this or it's so important that we have to work on this now yeah well the the i mean i i kind of talked about that concept like it was pretty easy i with the orioles we just say like hey this guy can't get into this position or yeah. he's struggling getting into this position and you go talk to the strength and conditioning staff and they'll kind of come view it or they'll test them on certain things and certain mobility, whatever. And they're either going to come back and say, we can have that fixed in two weeks <laughs> or you're going to have to coach around this until we can figure it out. I don't, yeah. I don't know. And like I said, I'm, I'm that's nice, man. Isn't it, isn't it yeah. nice to have that, that resource? <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I leave it up to the experts. I, I, I don't know the answer to it, but I, I think that it's just something to keep in mind. Um, if you're a high school coach or an even lower level coach, even a, even a college coach is sometimes we ask guys to do things that they just physically can't do. Yeah. And just, I think that's what's on people's minds. At least, like I said, it's on people's minds to know like, yeah, this person just might be able. And when you're talking this position, you're talking typically like uh maybe a backhand position or look, looking what would like the hip hinge at a ground ball or the, you know, the two handed ground ball or, you know, yep. the one handed slow roller ground ball. You're looking at yep. those kind of positions you're talking about. Yeah. I think that, um, I won't get in the name specifically, but we, we have a first baseman in the organization that he just can't square up a ground ball because he can't get low enough. Um, because either his hamstrings are tight or his, his, hips are tight or he might just be too tall of a guy and I'm looking at it and I'm like man like he's leaving too much he's leaving too much space between his ground between the ground and his glove and balls can get under there and it just makes me a little nervous and then I just said you know what we're, he's just gonna field balls off to the side because he can kind of get into that one leg and hinge and it made a huge difference um and I, I think I would have just spent so much time in the past, like, we need to work on this. We need to work on this. We need to work on this. And he might not, he couldn't do it. And he was just so much better and played so much lower and was so much more confident and freed up um, his hands and, and his athleticism by kind of just playing the ball off to the side. In, in a little, so you would purposely side. just get to the right of the ball, essentially. Yep. Why not? Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think that um, – I think that that's another topic that we can go on for a little bit is playing one handed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that so far, I know for a fact, this is a fact that Arenado played. I think he fielded, this is uh, it's either 90 or 91% of all balls one handed last year. And this year up into this point in this season, he's a hundred percent, every single ball one handed. Mm. Um, even even at the shortstop position, you know, you see guy like I like to use Lindor because he does this very well. He's, he'll square up a ball. He's getting ready to field it two hands, and you know he's getting lower and the ball's getting closer. And he might not like the hop that he's going to get, so he might step through and field it one handed. Mm. Um, I, I I I have no problem with guys 
fielding the ball one-handed. I have no guy. I have no problem with guys fielding the ball um, outside of their shoulders one-handed as well, um, and not quote unquote getting in front of it. Um, I think that sometimes getting in front of it is counterproductive to an infielder because it makes him less mobile and and uh, prevents him from being able to adjust to, to different hops and things. Because once you're kind of committed to that, those two hands and inside your shoulders, you're you could be set and, and stuck with whatever hop that you want, where if you're playing a little bit more one-handed and have a little more freedom, um, your adjustability increases. Sure. How, how do you go about teaching that to a younger kid? So what are, you know, fundamentally, you know, to like when do we still teach those? Are we still teaching both of them? You know, like if you're taking the foundational skill there. Oh, I, I 100% would teach both. But if you actually watch most younger kids and they feel the ball in handed naturally, and we have to teach them to put the other hand in there. Sure. Um, and I, I think that if a guy can do it one-handed all the time, I don't care, go ahead. Now, obviously, if you're going to set up for to turn a double play and, and you know, you have to have that other hand closed, but um, I, I think that you kind of let them do what they naturally do, and I wouldn't push too, too hard for the – for the two hands, you know, and, and the reason I say this is the guy that catches the ball the most on the field is the catcher. He uses one hand guy that catches the ball. The second most is the pitcher. Cause he gets the ball back from the catcher. He never uses two hands. The first baseman is basically a one handed position. He catches the ball the third most. Um, I, I would, I would allow that freedom of one hand way more. Um, and, and how I would develop it is I would tell him, Hey, I, don't even worry about the other hand. Just go be free, and you'll see, you'll see the range increase and in, and in different things that they can do. And then as soon as you start putting that other hand in there, um, it could screw some things up. And I think that you just need to know when to use it. You know, sure. you have if you have a true ground ball that's staying down the entire time, and it, you're going to be able to field that ball in between your shoulders. Sure, go ahead, use two hands all day. Um, but I think with a lot of the playing surfaces that that the uh, lower levels play on, you're going to get some funky hops. Balls aren't really going to stay down true as much. So I, I would, I would promote the one handed a lot more. And at the end of the day, um, we, we want them to catch it. So it doesn't, we, they all don't have to be cookie cutters kind of how I tried to make guys in the past. Um, and I, I just promote as much as I possibly can. Uh, with the with the one-handed stuff and guys seem to like it they feel more free with it they feel more confident with it um so i wouldn't always hammer home two hands sure yeah just so and like you said being able to do both is important yeah uh, as many different skills and, and abilities that you have the more flexible and, and the better infielder that you're going to be Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, like Nor, like he might choose that right hop where he just has to push through one handed anyways. Yep. You know, yep. or if it's a it's a shot that he gets caught when he's got to use two hands so it doesn't go up his body, you know, and he has to use two hands. So. And I, I think it comes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. It's just understanding your player. Like this guy's really, really good with two hands. Yeah. Go be good with two hands. JJ Hardy. Yeah, <laughs> this guy is really, really good with one hand. Um, I don't really need to bring, I don't need to, to hammer home the two hands as much, but like I said, I think it's important to have the ability to do both and understand when to use them. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Well, man, before we get going, man, I, I, I do want to kind of switch gears a little bit, you know, especially after speaking to Catherine, Catherine Rowe and talking about some mental skills and stuff like that. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I know there's a lot more to it. I'm sure that you've had some more time to even, I'm sure even discuss through Zooms and things like that about maybe the mentality of, it, of an info. That's something we have a talk, touch base on, you know, I mean, like how like what kind of what kind of mental skills like the mentality you want in an infielder what have you seen like in those top infielders that have it and how are you developing it um i think the skills that are important for a uh the mental skills that are important for for an infielder first is you you kind of have a little you got to have a little bit of a high iq in a sense and understand the game and understand um where you should be and, and cutoffs and relays and what's important at the time. Um, but as far as, as kind of the topic that, that we're talking about, I think that the ability, um, the game is the same on a high school field as it is in Camden yards. It's the same game. The only thing that happens is the speed increases. Guys throw the ball harder. The ball gets hit harder. Guys run faster. Everything increases. And if, you take a high school player and you put him in a division one uniform, uh, he's going to be a little lost because the game is so fast and it's not just fast physically. It's going to be fast mentally. There's less time in between pitches. Uh, with that being said, the good infielders take that fast game and slow it down. The moment doesn't become too fast they know the crowd doesn't affect them they can they can control their uh their breathing their heart rate their adrenaline um as as best as they could um but that those all those moments are the same to them Uh, one isn't different than another they don't they don't get super hyped up they stay in control they don't get uh they don't forget what they're going to do before the play happens because they're so out of it um and i think that comes with controlling your breathing uh, being comfortable in those moments um, having, I think that going to a place where you're uncomfortable so many times and, and failing in practice so many times that you actually become comfortable in those scenarios. Um, and I, it's a, it's difficult for, for younger kids to understand younger players to understand, um, because they want to, if they're practicing, they want to have success all the time on everything that they do. But I think the more that they actually fail in practice, the more comfortable they'll be in those big moments in big games when it really matters. Um, and I think that dealing with the failure, how they respond to it and understanding that each ground ball is individual from one another, that last ground ball has nothing to do with this one. Um, and having a short memory and, you know, you make an error, maybe you take your glove off and turn around and breathe, whatever, whatever it takes, be pissed off for those 15 seconds. But um, as soon as you put that glove back on or as soon as that next pitch is ready to go, like it's over, that moment's gone and this moment's here. Um, And then when that moment's over, you move on to the next one. Um, How would I teach it? You have to practice it. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's called practicing meditation. It's called practicing mindfulness um, because it takes work. It's not easy. Uh, Nobody can sit there and have full peace you know, and, and um, you have to practice each individual moment and controlling your breathing and you have to practice it, whether it's good or bad. Um, you may go through meditation and, and mindfulness and be great and still have a bad game and let your emotions get, get to get the best of you. 
but you can't, you have to go back to practicing again. You can't abandon it. Um, it is, it's a commitment and it's an understanding. Um, and it's, you know, you just can't get up there to the plate and say, okay, I'm going to breathe deep here and do this. Like it's too late then, you know, right. these are things that have to be practiced off the field with not non-baseball things too. I think just in your lifestyle, um, just, just practicing those different things and it carries over into the game. Um, but if you just practice it when you get to the field and say, okay, well, when I get in the box or, you know, before each pitch, I'm going to do that. It's not going to be as successful as you'd like it to be. You have to practice it away from the field as well. That's so crazy about our game. Like you can practice those skills that you need, even when you're not playing the game. hundred percent. That was cool. Um, That's a great, I mean, great point. It, it, you, I think that being uncomfortable and understanding that uncomfortability and being okay with that as often as you can. Um, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it, it gets scary and difficult sometimes, but the more that you do it, it's just like anything, the more sure. comfortable and the more familiar you'll be with it. So when you do get into those, those big moment situations in the game, um, in your mind, you've already been there. So yeah. you're calm, collective and prepared. So what are you what are you doing to create some of those big moments in practice? Are you doing anything to create those and create those maybe that failure you were talking about earlier about failing more in practice? You know, a great point with the failure is um, we kind of started doing this in spring training a little bit near the end um, before we got sent home. Is we put a or try to to put a success rate on the drill. So we tell a guy like, hey this is routine ground balls. Like we need to be 95% on these. Like you, you got to hammer these home. Or if we're doing something that may be difficult or uh, we're going to put a lot of pressure on them, or maybe we put them in a shift and we hit the ball out of the shift and see how, Hey, this is, this is a 40% success rate. Like go challenge yourself. Like there's going to be failure here. So be okay with it. And it kind of pushes guys to get more comfortable with making mistakes. And when I mean, what I mean by making mistakes is they're just challenging themselves instead of taking that safe route where you might not get the double play. Like, Hey, we want you to challenge yourself and take this route and you may not get to it, but if you do, we're turning that double play. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it just promotes, it kind of gives them an idea um, because there are some days that we have very difficult practice plans or very difficult drill at the, at the, moment and guys were getting so frustrated because they weren't getting to the balls or completing the play and you can see him kind of not checking out but it, it was carrying over into the next play and the next play and then we started putting a success rate on it like hey uh it's okay to fail here like you're we only want you to make this play 60 percent of the time instead of that 95 percent. and then you just saw the pressure kind of come off them um a great drill uh that that i would do in high school as far as creating game-like pressure um, is you can kind of have an inner squad um, pitcher on the mound, hitter at the plate, everybody in the field and every batter is a three, two count. Hmm. And you want to talk about pressure and chaos. Um, there'll be guys pretty much running on every pitch. If they're on the bases, the pitcher has the pressure of throwing a strike. The batter has a, has the pressure of, of um, deciding whether he's going to swing or not. Uh, it, 
it gets and and the game happens fast. We talked sure. about that. Yeah, it does. It, things happen fast. It's not like he gets on and and you just see guys start to breathe and a lot of those deep breaths between the pitches and everything and and it's it's intense and um, I think it's a great way to create the most game like pressure atmosphere that there is. And, yeah, and it puts right. it puts uh, pressure on the defense too because we got to make these plays. Because oh yeah, I mean you can throw three pitches and it could be bases loaded, um, and it's it's a different way and I I, I love it. And you just see, um, and it also it gives some in some in- instances it gives guys less time to think because they have to move on to the next pitch because that next pitch is extremely important, um, and they'll focus because three two something's gonna happen where maybe yeah. on a OO count, nothing might not happen. Something is happening on every play, so it it really locks in their engagement. Sure, and that goes back to his mental skills you're talking about, too. Even, like you said, moving on next pitch, having that, you know, short memory to go, and it's good and kind of brings up all those things. Yep. Yeah, that's super good, man. That is, that is pretty cool. Three two A 3-2 chaos scrimmage. It's basically – Yeah. And, <laughs> I mean, you, you get – you know, you can get three, two, two, and then guys are running base. I mean, it could, oh, yeah, three, two, two. Well, I mean, it's yeah. gonna, it's gonna happen. I mean, it, it's, there's so many different positive things that could be worked on from that. Mm-hmm. And you don't even, you might not even need a pitcher. I mean, it's good for the pitchers to lock in on those pitch, but maybe you throw a hack attack machine on there and like something has to happen on this pitch. Um, so there's, there's different ways you can get creative with it, but um, it's, <laughs> it's, it creates the most pressure game-like pressure out of anything that I've, I've seen so far. Oh, for and sure. If, and if anybody has anything different, please share. Cause that's one of the, the things that the coaches uh, struggle with or, or try to create most game-like situations as possible. Sure. Pressure, yeah. pressure. Right. You know, I've done the whole, you know, you try to have last man standing, you're trying to you know, put something on the line to win, you know, clean up guys or run guys you know like you're trying to create as much pressure as you can um you know so it's just definitely looking to do those things the stopwatch is great too um you know i love the stopwatch to help guys like what you were saying earlier about like guys having uh, like watching guys who um like you're talking about your in-game data about watching how they get rid of the ball you know the time that internal clock they have you know so putting them on the clock for me has always been a huge thing that even just say yes. it out loud, tell the kids, say it out loud, one, two, yep. three, you know, and um, all those kind of things. You just Girt and guys not getting in the bag the second base enough, you know, like try to get it there between three, within three seconds, two to three seconds, got to be at the bag, you know, like. And I think that, that, like you said, with the, with putting times on things, like that's a variable and um, you can control how fast that they work. You know, if, if you say five seconds for something, like, you are telling them that you want them to work a little bit slower and, and focus on this and focus on accuracy where if you're telling, Hey, this is a three, five, I don't know. I'm just making the number up. Um, you're telling them that you're going to go fast. So uh, whatever it takes to, to get that play done. And it may not be a high success rate, like we talked about, but we have to move fast in order to even have a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the times and anything is a great variable. Um, I, I think, finding variables in any drill that you do uh, changes the complexity of the drill completely. Um, and I think that time is one of the most important ones. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think it's a great, 
great thing to stop there too, man. Like I know it's already been in over an hour, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we've been right here at an hour. So, man, I appreciate it. There's, is there anything else? Like, let's say someone wants to reach out to you, man, talk to you more about, you know, like um, your lead ups and things like that. You know, is there any way, good, good way to contact you? Yeah. Um, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and um, I, it's at, uh, at D John underscore five D E J O H N underscore five. Uh, give me a follow, shoot me a, a private message or a public message. Um, I always respond. I've right now I'm a little busy. So I, I, my, my turnaround isn't as good as it used to be, but I, I will get back to you. Um, and, uh, anything that I can try to do to help people and, and answer questions, I, I'll do the best that I can. I promise. Yeah, man. Yeah. You're pretty active on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't as much in the last few weeks. I've I've kind of uh taken on some more projects and been involved with some different things, but uh yeah. when I do have time, especially in the beginning of quarantine there and and uh when you couldn't do anything, uh right. yeah, I was definitely active, but uh, Well, that's that's cool. So you said at D John, at D J O H N underscore five. D E uh at D-E-J-O-H-N underscore five. Yep. Got it. Got it, man. That's good. So that's awesome. You might see some some sneakers stuff on there too, and maybe maybe a couple things about LeBron James, but I there's there's baseball mixed in there too. That's all good. Yeah, was Catherine was wondering, she was wondering uh, she was saying that you'd be we'd have to probably talk about some type of sneaker at some point. <laughs> Catherine, is, Catherine is awesome. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Catherine Rowe. Who does not have Twitter, by the way? And we I did another thing yeah. we talked about because I told her about it too. Yeah, I she needs to get on there. We're, I'm going to get her on there. Um, but Catherine is awesome. Uh, she brings good energy. Uh, she really uh, believes in and in, in mindfulness and helps people with it. And she's been great to me in that aspect and a phenomenal friend. Um, and yes, she's correct about sneakers. Uh, me liking sneakers. So. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Catherine Go Get Twitter. That's right. That's right. I told her because you know you guys are all you know rock stars, man. It's just it's really great. You know, especially being a Oral fan, being from Maryland. You know, it's just great to see. You know, they have great leadership in the organization and great coaches that are you know one a player first and then uh, trying to do the best by players. And yeah, she is. She's a rock star, man. You're a rock star as well. And I just can't thank you enough for taking some time this morning, man. I, I appreciate you having having me on here and. Yeah, uh, buddy. I'm I'm really excited. Like I, I, I'm so happy to be in Oriole. Um, I'm excited the direction that the organization is going in, the mindset that we have, um, the things that we're working on, um, the players that we have in our system. Uh, I'm really really excited about these next couple of years and, and the direction that it's going to go in. And my my first and foremost first and foremost priority is to give everything to that organization. Um, I'm thankful for the chance that chance and the responsibilities that they've given me and the people I've met so far uh, have been amazing and I, I couldn't be more happy and prideful yeah that's awesome it's <laughs> awesome we can't we're thankful as well man just having all you great guys around there and and um DJ if there's anything else man I just again I just really appreciate the time buddy it's been it's been great hopefully we can do it again thank you for having me man I'm glad that we uh finally made it work and yeah. um Appreciate it. You you did a great job. You asked some great questions and you got me thinking a little bit too. That's good. That's good. Me too. I I just love being able to talk some baseball and I'm glad we can 
hopefully help some help as many people as we can. That's always the goal, man. Thank you again for having right. me and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks, DJ. Take care. All right, man. See you. DJ just crushed it. So again, I just want to thank him for taking the time out. We actually went back and forth uh, for a couple weeks trying to find the best time to do it, and it really just worked out to a good time for both of us. But again, just the consideration for him to be able to sit down and talk baseball for a little bit over an hour. And um, again, if you have any questions with him, he's a great sharer. Um, again, just another another guy who's a great part of this coaching baseball coaching fraternity that just is willing to share, willing to learn. If you have anything that you'd like to reach out to him about, any questions at all, please feel free to um, follow him on Twitter, contact him there at D-E as in Edward, J as in John, O-H-N underscore five. D-John underscore five. So just want to thank him enough. Can't thank him enough for some great stuff. Just great, valuable information. Um, I just love it. He gets into talking about how to deal with success and how even to be up front with guys and say, hey, we want a 60% success rate here or we want 95% right here. And um, giving those that and then incorporating the 3 2 count with, with scrimmages. I mean, what a great, great pressure packed, chaos filled drill that we can try to help mimic game like reps. I love how he talks about those high IQ for infielders, keeping the game slow, being able to work on your routines, which you heard Catherine Rowe talk about with being in the mental skills, um, being able to have a short memory from an infielder standpoint, but being able to practice moments and staying under control in those moments, staying centered. He talked about when you do have a moment and you've adversity comes to take off your glove, turn your back to the fielder. When you're ready, turn your body in front to make sure that it just shows that you're ready to make a pitch. Those are great cues. Those are great, great, valuable, real skills that you can teach and you can practice those because adversity is coming. And if you don't have a plan for them, okay, you are leaving it up to chance. You are not putting yourself in the best place to succeed. So um, just give us some great, great information. Um, and he was true to his word. He is a, a simple, applicable coach. And I love how he talked about in-game, I'm going to track angles. What angles are we taking to balls? And if I track, if I do those things the most, I'm going to practice them the most. We don't need five or six bunt defenses. We need the ones that we do the most. Um, you know, we need to track the things that really matter. Collect data that we can help design practice and practice and be specifically getting better at practice. Okay, to be honest, pay attention to those angles and, be attent- and pay attention to just where are you making errors. And if you're making a lot of errors in your backhand play or making a lot of errors with your throwing, then that you can plan, practice specifically for those things. So, And if I'm a player, I'm doing that whether if I have a coach or not. Hey, man, can you? I, I'm jotting this down. Or, hey, man, can you can you jot down how which ones I, I miss throughout the year? And, and you can have a friend do that or you can have your dad do that. And then you go back to work on those things. So very valuable information. It's very real. And I can't thank DJ enough for taking the time here to, to – reinforce a lot of those great, great thoughts. So please share the episode and let leave me any feedback that you can. Leave a review. Um, DM me on Twitter, at Coach3Cobb. 
Email me at TreyTCobb at gmail.com. But please, again, follow DJ. He's a great follow, great guy. Really glad the Orioles got his hands on him. Go O's. And I'll see you next week. Keep getting better.